welcome to Friends on Air, a podcast presented to you by the Friendship Circle of Pittsburgh. On this podcast, our teen hosts discuss real life with real people. We hope to inspire others by sharing stories of individuals and pairs of friends who have dealt with mental health challenges or just the ups and downs of life and discussing what brought them healing and inner peace. In these episodes, we also talk about the role that friendship and connection plays in a person's emotional well-being. Subscribe to this podcast to be a part of our Friends on Air family. Friends on Air! Hi, I'm Annie. I'm a senior in high school, and I'm going to be your teen host for today. Hi, I'm Madison. I'm also a senior in high school, and I'm also going to be a host today with Annie. Hi, I'm Allie. I'm the wellness coordinator at the Friendship Circle, and I have a background in psychology and clinical mental health, so I will be providing some insight for today's wonderful episode. Awesome. Hi, everyone. I'm Ayala. Welcome. I am the team member engagement and partnerships coordinator at Friendship Circle, and I just get to really hang out and be a friend around here, and I'm excited to be part of this conversation. We're all so glad to be here today, and I'm super excited to introduce a Friendship Circle staff who we all know and love. Drew, welcome to the podcast. Um, We'd love to know a little bit more about you, so please introduce yourself. Okay. Um, Yes, my name is Drew. I am from Havertown, Pennsylvania, which is just a little suburb outside of Philadelphia, and I graduated from Pitt with a bachelor's in rehabilitation science in 2019. And now I work here. I'm the membership and inclusion coordinator. And I love it here. It's great. Awesome. We love to have you. Yes. <laughs> in three words, what are you here to talk about with us today? I'm here to talk about underrepresented mental struggles. Powerful. So yes. important. All right. So at the beginning of every episode, we ask a fun speed question. Um, so we're going to choose one from the mug. And today's question is, where is the most memorable place that you've traveled? And Drew, we can start with you. Okay, good question. Um, this probably isn't so memorable to everyone who's been there, but it's very memorable to me. I just went to Bristol, which is a city in the United Kingdom, and I just got engaged there. Very exciting. Um, And it's a really cool city because it's where Banksy is from. So it has a lot of graffiti and street art everywhere. It's just very beautiful. But then it also has like old churches and cathedrals. It's just a very cool town. Awesome. Um, My most memorable trip was probably to a little island in the Bahamas where pigs just walk around um and so we got to hang out with pigs all day and like play with the baby pigs which was awesome was that like on the agenda like play with the pigs that was the reason we went to the bahamas that's the kind of agenda i like so (laughs) i also like i love animals and probably one of the more memorable vacations for me was going to alaska on my honeymoon Um, In addition to like the landscape and just like the amazing icebergs and everything, we went on like this um, just wilderness kind of um, cruise and there were these humpback whales and they were there in the water and there were about six or seven of them and they were in a circle and I believe it's called bubble net feeding. And so they were like all blowing bubbles and it was um, bringing the fish to the surface of the water and they were all just eating together. And I guess that's something they learned from migrating and they learned it from dolphins. And I just thought it was the neatest thing ever. Wow. That would be the coolest. Like I wish one day. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Um, Going off of Annie's story, um, I went to Costa Rica a few years ago on like a teen trip. And then we also saw some pigs, and they were really cute. We played with them all day. I didn't realize that there's, like, pigs on every island. Is that a thing? I have no clue. I think it was just on their, like, little farm. Oh, But also, the best part of the trip, we went on a lot of, like, beautiful nature hikes and oh. on foot bridges, and it was really pretty. That's so cool. I've seen yeah. such beautiful pictures from there. I'd say my most memorable, the most memorable place I've traveled would have to be South Africa. I went with my grandmother and grandfather a few years ago, and it was just the coolest experience. Like, we went on this, like, six-day safari and saw all these animals in the wild, and it just felt so right to see all these animals in their, ha- in their like, natural habitat and in, like, the wide-open 
land and the stars and the, it was just amazing. So definitely my most memorable travel experience. Okay, so we're going to get into it with our main conversation. Um, so Drew, we know, I know that you mentioned earlier that um, you're going to be talking a little bit about underrepresented mental illness. Um, do you have any personal experiences that you're comfortable sharing with us? We'd really love to hear your story. Yeah. So I'm going to like bury the lead of the story and just start by saying that I was diagnosed with type 2 bipolar disorder in 2017. And I say that just because I want to talk about my life like leading up to that moment because I think that's like what I really am here to talk about today. Basically when I was in high school I really was showing a lot of signs of mental illness that I don't think people could readily recognize and I think that that was like you know a big problem for me um, if they were more educated about recognizing these kinds of signs I think that I probably would have been able to get help faster um, not that like I'm in a terrible spot today or anything, but I think that it would have really saved me a few years of struggle. Um, so in high school, I was showing like a lot of signs of anxiety and depression. I would have these like moments of panic before tests, even though I would get A's on them. Like I was very prepared for them. Um, I would be generally just very tired. I would get sick really often and I'm a pretty healthy person. I did a lot of sports. Um, there was, I ate well, there wasn't really a lot of reason for why I should be getting so sick. Um, but because I was still able to do all of my stuff in school, I was getting really good grades. I was in the Boy Scouts, I was doing sports. Like. I, it wasn't really being noticed so much that I was having all of these struggles, not only for other people, but for myself as well. I wasn't really looking at myself and saying, oh, something's wrong. Like I need to mm -hmm. do something about this. Um, so going into college, it started getting kind of worse. And I didn't really know why, because I was doing the things that I like to do. I was on the rowing team. I had a lot of friends on my floor but I would have like these long periods of time where I like wouldn't want to leave my room or I wouldn't want to go talk to other people because it just felt like so overwhelming and I just was tired. I couldn't, there were days where I couldn't really get to bed because I was just like laying in my bed at night. And then there were days where I would sleep way too long into the day. Um, and then there were these weird days where I'd be like really energetic and I would get everything that I needed to get done. Like uh, I would clean everything. I would do all of my homework. Um, I would talk to a lot of people. I'd go out, I'd like buy some new clothes and like uh, just have a fun time. And people would be like, oh, like you seem really like energetic. This is really fun. You're really happy. This seems like a good day for you. And I was like, yeah, this is great. But in fact, um, those symptoms were sort of like hiding all of the other things that were going on because people would say like, oh, he's just having like a sad day and he's just having a good day. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it was like not really good on the sad days. It was worse than what people were seeing. And then the good days, quote unquote, were not actually good days that I was having. Mm -hmm. um, they were really big signs of bipolar disorder. Um, so for a while, I was just sort of struggling with these weird feelings of like inadequacy because slowly my grades started to slip um, I wasn't like able to do work very well. I wasn't really having success like socially. I wasn't seeing my friends as often. We weren't having as good of times. Um, and I started to isolate myself a lot. Finally, I decided that I really needed to like go see someone. This is like a funny kind of scary story in a sense, but I had like a panic attack and I was rowing on a boat and I was on a boat that it was just me on it. And so I just like wasn't able to do anything while I was on this boat floating it's down so the scary. river. Yeah. And it like, so it really signaled to me, like, I need to address this. Like something is really, really wrong and I need to go like do something about this. But I really think that it shouldn't have needed to get to that point for me to be able to recognize that. That's why I want to talk about the stuff that I'm talking about today. Was it easy for you to access help at that point? It was um, luckily some things like really lined up, uh, perfectly, I would say in the timeline for that, but, um, it was sort of getting to that point. That was the difficult part, like mm -hmm. sort of admitting to yourself, I need to mm -hmm. 
I, I might have a problem that needs to get addressed. I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to go see a doctor because I don't want them to confirm that there's something wrong with mm-hmm. me. And if they don't confirm that, then like, it's not real and right. I'm fine. Had anyone like ever kind of said anything to like your parents or anything like, hey, this isn't like great? <laughs> yeah, not to my parents. Mm-hmm. I did have one friend abigail who sat me down one day and was like i really think you have depression and i shout out to abigail shout out to abigail (laughs) truly like that was a huge step in like me being able to finally like acknowledge that to myself um but i remember really being shocked that she said that but she was pretty close that's a a great friend (laughs) Yeah, yeah it was really good and i think about that a lot like she really set me onto like a good path from that moment but still after she said that it took me almost half a year to actually contact like any professional to do anything yeah um if you don't mind like me asking do you still face like the same struggles or if they like evolved or changed in any way over time that's a good question um yes so i have similar struggles i would say to this day but it is so different now because I've done a lot of work to get past, like it it really went to a very low point Mm -hmm. for my mental health that I've had to slowly build up brick by brick and learn new strategies and stuff. And um, I'm able to recognize what I'm feeling and put words to what I'm feeling, which lets me know like what tools I need to use to get past it. So Mm -hmm. I was able to start medication, which is like, pretty standard for people who have bipolar disorder. It's like pretty much immediately recommended once you get a diagnosis to start medication, which I was hesitant about. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely like a journey because there are weird side effects to medications. Um, So had to figure out like the right ones to take for me. Um, And not everyone who has bipolar disorder takes the same medication. So it was really tricky to like find the right balance. Mm -hmm. And then I was also able to start therapy And that was like where they would have me um, sort of keep note of how I was feeling through the week and tell me like, okay, so in this period, you were feeling manic. And in this period, you were having a depressive episode. And they were also allowed, um, able to show me what I wasn't experiencing, which I think was really important too. A lot of people with bipolar can experience like delusions, which is things that like you know, you're experiencing things that aren't there essentially. Mm -hmm. And it was cool to see that that wasn't happening to me. So like, sometimes it's good to point out like, this is what's going on. This is not what's going on. And I have like a little bit more control over my situation. Um, So now if I notice myself starting to feel manic, I can like pinpoint things that indicate that to me. Mm -hmm. And I can sort of preempt the episode from getting worse or preempt myself from like feeding into that episode by taking some steps um, to like draw myself back from it. When you're, when you're manic, you sort of uh, try to keep yourself in that state. It like wants to keep your body going. So it'll Mm -hmm. seek out really high energy activities or like make you really crave caffeine and stuff like that. Um, which will lead you to like a really heavy crash later. So if I can start seeing like, oh, I might be feeling a little manic now, I should not go drink coffee at all, like avoid that. I should try and do things at home, like try to read, try to just listen to music. Don't go out and like do a run or anything like Mm -hmm. that because I'm going to sort of feed into that. Same thing with Mm -hmm. depression. Like I might start to do self-isolating behaviors Mm -hmm. and I'll tell myself, okay, let's go for a walk let's um, call up a friend and just talk to them about how I'm feeling right now. Um, yeah, so it's it's really interesting. I, I don't feel so like uh, confused anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, um, I don't have those same senses of like inadequacy or like frustration because I'm actually able to say, I know what's going on. I know what I need to do and use the tools that I've gotten through. Were you always comfortable with your diagnosis? I was pretty comfortable with it only because I feel like I had gone through such a long process of being like, I absolutely do not want this, but I was very lucky because bipolar disorder gets misdiagnosed a lot. 
and it can very often be seen as ADHD or schizophrenia, um, or you'll just get treated for depression, particularly for bipolar two. Um, this might be like too much info, but the, the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two is in the way the mania shows. So in bipolar two, you have hypomania, which lasts for four to five days where you like don't sleep and you crave like reckless behavior. You might spend a lot of money. You're very energetic. It can either show as like happiness or uh, irritation. You can be like really snappy with people. Um, but then the depressive episodes for bipolar two are like way more frequent. Mm -hmm. And, um, so when people have bipolar two, you might just get diagnosed for depression uh, and they mm -hmm. won't notice the manic parts, which like, if you don't treat that part, you might end up hurting yourself or something later yeah, on. Right. And I think he brings up a really good point. Um, it can take sometimes upwards of 10 years to get an accurate diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important when you're going and seeking help um, to understand that, first of all, clinicians are looking for a physical cause of your illness, and then they're going to look for mental health issues. That's going to take time. Um, you're going to be seeking out multiple doctors. Um, so, and we're talking about this process and how it's difficult. And like, if I can just speak into saying that, um, you know, there's some amount of I want to I don't resiliency is not the right word, but just hang in there mm -hmm. because, um, you know, it's oftentimes, you know, a, a diagnosis is a clinician's, although very intelligent, um, you know, educated, it's their best guess. And sometimes they're working with the information they have and that gets updated. And so does your diagnosis. Right. Um, so, you know, Drew speaking into all these things that he had to do, uh, you know, at the beginning of his diagnosis, the, the therapy and Hopefully you'll find a clinician that that works for you. But if not, keep going. Keep yeah. going until you find a good fit. Um, somebody that keeps you accountable. Mm -hmm. Somebody that hopefully is focusing on your, in this case, um, with mood disorder, you know, your biorhythms, like how you are doing um, in a number of different ways. So what I wanted to say also is that in the beginning, medications, you know, when they're given, that's a rough process too. So I hear Drew speaking into, you know, he started this and I don't know if we can actually underplay how difficult that is. And we're talking about supporting our friends. A lot of medications and they, they have their place, but they come with some just wild, hard side effects. Um, I even had a client say once that I wish I didn't have to take care of my mind without ruining my body. Yeah. Like, so um, yeah. to speak on that, the first set of medications that I took made me like so sick, like oh, wow. feeling all day. I literally felt like I was going to throw up every second of the day. If I smelled something weird, if someone made a weird noise, like I would immediately feel like I had to go vomit and I had to stop going to school for a semester because my medication was like, wrecking me so hard that I had no idea also it wasn't working so I still felt just as bad as I did before plus now I feel really oh, sick no. and so like I was like it's too much to try and focus on school work socialization and my mental health I need to like scale back and really focus on me and take care of myself and make sure that I'm like connected to my um network like the people who care about me mm -hmm. um before I try to add on all these other stressors and components of things to think about and I was I'm lucky that I was able to do that that I was able to pull myself back from those things and still be able to like um you know have a place to live food to eat stuff like that but it was really key for me because I trying to go to school with that medication was rough. Yeah. And also when they like turn the lights off to do the PowerPoint. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, so bad. And so, it's all these little things that people don't think about. Yeah, mm -hmm. I had, I literally would have to like not hang out with my roommates because they were really funny and they would just like tell a lot of jokes. And if I like laughed too hard, I would feel like it was, <laughs> it was really bad. So yeah, I just, um, Luckily, we found the right, the right ones, <laughs> um, and that was a lot better. But um, once when someone starts, it can feel really like terrible right yeah. at the beginning. But your body adjusts, and then it starts to work, and you're like, "This is great." 
Um, so like you said, you just sort of have to hang in there. It's terrible sounding. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I think it's, but I think it's important to note, like, especially when we're talking about friendship and mental health and the supports during that time, like you're not gonna like, you know, you're not going to get it all the way right. You might tell somebody, Hey, I think you have depression. You know, like your friend said, that might not end up being the case, but it's you coming from a good place, coming to support them, like, honestly, and it's a, it's a rough journey. And Drew's talked about, um, it looks different now to me. Like, do you remember like taking like a new class, like Mm -hmm. starting a new subject at first you have this like moment of crisis where you're like, there's no way I'm going to ever understand any of this. Like I'm never going to get it. It's too hard. I see that as like a diagnosis or, you know, I'm not ready for this burden. And then like, you know, here you are, you've learned about it, you've grown as a human. Um, and it's more, it's like maintenance. It's like taking your follow-up classes. It's just learning how to become more advanced in this situation. Yeah. What a good analogy. Yeah. No, it's definitely really great to hear about the support system and how important that is. And I think um, for a lot of teens, how you said to step back and like take time for yourself, even like if that's hard, that is so important. Yes. Kind of, yeah. Um, so that was great to hear. But I was also wondering, um, in some of your manic or depressive episodes, like how do you deal with that? Or even preemptively, is there like a way to try to prevent an episode from coming? Definitely. So um, having that like um, social circle, like good network of friends, having family support, like absolutely key. Because if you have people that you can trust to talk about, like, this is how I'm feeling, this is the stuff I'm going through, and have someone genuinely listen to the things that you're saying, like, over time, they start to be some of your best resources. Because when I am starting to do self-isolating behaviors, they'll, like, say, oh, can I, like, come over and, like, bring some food over? Like, let's, and one, getting food into me like that's great Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I will always appreciate that (laughs) but two it's like socialization and it's sort of like just putting your foot in the door and saying like let's break the cycle right now and sometimes it really is just breaking the cycle because you can just sort of uh create like that positive feedback loop where like you're isolating yourself and now you feel bad so you're just gonna like keep isolating yourself and keep going and going opposite for mania you're like let's like do this wild thing, which leads to this next wild thing. And then like, it keeps going and going. So having friends who can sort of notice your baseline, which may or may not exist, but um, (laughs) notice like how you act on a day-to-day basis. If you're suddenly really like excitable and like have a lot of energy, it's really helpful to have someone be like, Hey, you good? Like you seem a little off today. And sometimes even that just tips me off and says, okay, like time to scale back, make sure that you're not seeking these behaviors, not doing this. It's a little different for mania with depression. It's more like behavioral stuff, like Mm -hmm. um, fight against the trending direction that you're going in. What I will say is that like sometimes stressors happen in your life. You just cannot avoid that. Um, So it's sometimes just, taking a step back and saying, okay, I know that this is going on. I know I have to handle it. Like, let's get that appointment scheduled. Let's make that phone call. And sometimes you just need to like speak it into existence to a friend say, this is what I need to do. Can you just make sure that I do this? Um, Having someone that is willing to do that is like awesome. Um, And I think it's so incredible that you have this level of awareness that a lot of young people, I feel like don't know that they should even have. Like the fact that you can start to notice and recognize when you're going into a certain state of mind and know what the next step should be is like so awesome. And something that I would just wit like wish for everybody to have to be able to also to like have that support and to have those friends who can recognize the um, like when something might be off and be able to step in and help. So I think it's awesome that you have that. Yeah. Keep therapists are key for that one because they will they will point you in the direction they'll say like write down how you're feeling at this time write down how you're feeling at this time and it you can have you literally have your own data like showing you went up on this day and this is what you noticed as you were going up and you went down on this day and this is what you noticed as you were going down so one thing like that I'll notice when I'm um, possibly (laughs) 
going to be manic. This sounds really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll like be singing. I sing a lot. I love to music and to sing. I'll be singing like two different songs in my head, like oh, at the same oh. time, like off and on, because I just like can't commit to paying attention to one of them. Um, Another thing that I'll notice is that I'll like start a lot of tasks without finishing them. And if I come back to something that's half done, I'll stop and be like, why didn't I do that? That's really interesting. So an example was I had just like left my toothbrush with toothpaste on it on the sink. And then I had started sweeping my kitchen and I had started vacuuming my like living room. Um, and then I decided that I needed to clean the windows. And it was when I hit the windows that I was like, why can't I do any of my chores? <laughs> like, what, what's going on here? So when you just sort of notice that, you go back, like, start doing some calming activities. Try to, like, really focus on what's going on in your brain because the racing thoughts are what's powering you through all of these things. That's why it also looks a lot like ADHD. Because, right, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Awesome, right? I can't read when I'm manic. I, like, oh, cannot mm-hmm. focus at all. So I'll, like, look at a paper and I'll just read like the first line over and over again because like I'm not absorbing anything or I'll just be like flipping the pages because nothing's going into my brain so that was tough for school of course but you mentioned the importance of therapy and not that I'm biased or anything but (laughs) um, since we are talking about mood disorders in particular and if our listeners are like wondering CBT behavioral therapy is very effective Um, I'd recommend looking into that. And I think it's also interesting, um, you know, we all tend to know because it's becoming more common knowledge, um, anxiety, depression, they're very, they're very common uh, mental health disorders. But when we're speaking about bipolar disorder, it's about one in every 50 people, they say, possibly, and more accurately, because of underreporting, one in 25 people. So yeah. it's far more common than we know. So I think having this discussion with our friends here today is especially important. Yeah. So yeah. thanks, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of CBT, things that really help um, on just like a day-to-day basis, things that are hard for people with mental illness can be like just doing chores, getting out of bed, doing those like um, – things that we sort of think are simple tasks for the day, um, but everything just intensifies. Um, Sometimes you have to sort of like trick yourself into doing them. And I make like little rules for myself that help me get through really hard times. So if I need to wash my dishes, which I hate doing, washing Mm -hmm. dishes just takes forever. um, I will start to wash most of them and then I'll pick one and I'm like, that one will soak in the sink and that's the one that I leave and it somehow like breaks the whole thing I'm not doing all of my dishes I'm like able to leave one and I'm like kind of giving myself grace but in reality I've cleaned all of my dishes there's just one that will be easier to clean later now interesting yeah so making little rules for yourself um if you're like I really need to exercise and you don't feel like it then just like make yourself go on a walk like get some sun that's still exercise but you might not be doing your exercise routine but getting your lungs going, getting your legs moving, like that's really important. Like give yourself grace, give yourself, um, doing a little bit is better than doing nothing at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's taking you a while to figure out like a process, how to deal with everything. Do you have a few tips for any of our listeners who like would want to know more about mental health or if they could use help, like what they could do? Yeah, so I guess in like terms of mental health awareness, I three things that I want people to really know um, is that mental illness does not look the same for everyone, and it doesn't always show up in really obvious ways. So, like, I think a very socialized frame of like depression is that someone is really sad. You'll notice that they cry a lot, like, you know, something like that. That's not always how depression shows up. You can seem really tired. You can be really frustrated easily at things. Those are all like different ways that depression can show up. Um, And for bipolar disorder or lesser known um, mental health disorders, like schizophrenia or OCD, like things that seem like some a, a quirk that someone does or things that might even seem positive to other people, 
um, if it seems really like obsessive or getting in the way of um, other things that they need to do or other behaviors that they should really be showing at the time, like those can also be signs. So like when I was so energetic, it really was out of character for me, but people weren't noticing that because in society, like being energetic is like a really awesome thing to be. Um, so that's the first thing. The second one is that mental illness doesn't look the same over time in the same individual. So if someone, when they initially are getting diagnosed or before they get diagnosed, is really sad, really tired all the time, but then later on in the process, they're really like scared or really um, irritable. Um, it's not that they were like lying about how they felt before, or it's not that they weren't depressed. It's that it's progressed because they've grown and changed as a person as we all do. And like mental illness will change over time as well, because you, your body is literally changing. And then number three is that I think society's moved in a really good direction of trying to destigmatize mental illness, but it's really just done it up to a certain point where we're aware of anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. um, but people aren't quite aware of what, that entails and i think that there's still a large stigma in the ways that they present themselves so i see often on like TikTok or instagram people will talk about like it's really hard for me to brush my teeth in the morning and there will be people in the comments being like that's disgusting that's really gross mm -hmm. and you're shaming someone for like how their mental illness is presenting itself essentially yeah. when you mm -hmm. do that um i think it's really important that people know that mental illness is not always going to be so like simple and easy and clean like it often shows up in hygiene difficulties it often shows up in these like undesirable traits that uh people say like if you're um snapping at someone you're you're having a hard time with your friends i think it's really easy to be like oh they're just like really rude i shouldn't be friends with them and in what I think people should go to is more of like a radical kindness kind of approach to it. If someone is suddenly snapping at their friends, my first thought is, are they okay? Like mm -hmm. what's going on with them? If someone like seems like they're not really bathing themselves or like, you know, they're not changing their clothes every day, we shouldn't be saying, Ooh, that's gross. We should say like, what do they need help with? Like, what could we do? And sometimes it's just like listening to them or just bringing it up to them. And sometimes that can lead to something. You don't need to know what to say, but those are like the three things that I really want people to know from this. I think you mentioned earlier, I think we read at the beginning of the episode that you wish you had like acknowledged and accepted your struggle a lot sooner than you had. Um, do you think there are any like specific signs that a person can notice in themselves or in other people that would suggest that they may be struggling? Yes. And I'm so glad that you tied that back to that because this answer is like, exactly that um i think a huge red flag obviously the one that everyone knows is like you feel a certain way for a long extended period of time so like you feel really sad you feel really anxious if you feel that way for a long time like you should consider seeking counseling of some sort you don't necessarily need to think like oh i need a diagnosis maybe your mental health is just poor at the time you might not have a mental illness but i think possibly an even larger red flag is constantly convincing yourself that you're fine and everything is fine. Because people who are fine don't spend a long <laughs> amount of time every day convincing themselves that they are fine. And I wish that someone told me that when I was in high school, because I remember thinking, yeah, like, I feel like it's so hard for me to just go to school and like get through the day. I just feel like I'm being like dragged through my daily activities every day. But like, some people have depression and like, I don't. So, you know, they have it harder than me. But like, in reality, I had depression, but like, I didn't know that. So um, those are like the two big red flags, for sure, in recognizing it in yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we know that like learning about the symptoms can help because I mean, early intervention can reduce the severity of an illness. So I think that's so important. And why we're talking today is because, um, so we all have things not to get too complex in our brains genetically that are there and they're dormant and the environment or situations, it can be like a light switch and those um, genetic predispositions, whether it be for a mood disorder or something else can be turned on. So if we're aware, um, 
you know, we literally can engage in like a preventative conversation like we are right now. Like this is so important. I actually am so glad that you said that because I totally forgot about this. But I would also highly encourage anyone to talk to their families about mental health history, Mm -hmm. mental illness history. I did not know any kind of history of mental illness in my family. And after I got diagnosed, I was told that my uncle also has bipolar disorder and my great aunt has bipolar Uh disorder on my dad's side. So it is very obviously genetic in my family, Mm -hmm. but like, I did not know that. So Mm -hmm. I would say like, if you have any inkling that like you might be feeling some kind of way, like you don't even need to ask questions about yourself. Maybe start asking questions like about your family or even rethinking um, the way that like your interactions with your family has been. Cause I remember knowing that my great aunt like had some kind of issue going on, but I had never asked questions about it before. Um, I know in other families, people will be like, oh, well, like your grandma gets sad sometimes. Well, like, is she getting sad sometimes or does she have depression? Like, Mm -hmm. and knowing these questions, knowing the answers to those questions can really help you get an accurate diagnosis um, because that is something they're going to ask you when you go to those meetings. And I feel like very often the answer is, I don't know. I don't know anything about that um, when that is really one of the like most reliable ways to diagnose is uh, through family inheritance. Correct. Um, And I guess I just want to kind of let you guys know, because this is a resource for uh, our teen listeners and anybody who's listening, like some of the, you know, we're speaking about a specific, um, you know, situation with Drew and we're just, we're learning more. (laughs) Hi, Drew. (laughs) (laughs) And we're learning, but I, I think in friends, it's generally important to look out for some critical behavior. So if you don't mind me going through just a couple of things really quick, so our listeners can be aware. And if they're seeing that in their friends, um, they can they can hopefully reach out to their friend or to a family, something. Yeah. So that being said, general signs and symptoms of mental health issues, they could look like uh, Drew spoke into this apathy. Um, it can look into any daily functioning changes. So we're not just talking about slowing down any behavioral change. Um, If our friend is usually an A student, like Drew said, and suddenly, um, you know, they begin to struggle or, you know, they're they're not showing up to cheerleading or band practice, like that matters. Um, Troubles with cognitive thinking, that's important too. We call it like brain fog. Uh, A lot of us do. That's Mm -hmm. very common. Um, Just in general, if you're having mental health struggles. Ultimately, if there's anything related to, like, if you're seeing somebody talk, um, like exaggerated beliefs. Maybe if Mm -hmm. it's about like, um, like personal power around a situation, sometimes it can tend to be religious in nature. If you're noting things like that, and that's not their usual speech, um, that's important. Um, Ultimately, just you guys, you're the people close to an individual, you're going to be maybe struggling to recognize some of these um, behaviors if they're not being pointed out to you. So I think, you know, right now as we're talking, it's so important because you're going to become aware. And if that comes up, um, you know, like I said before, that something's not right about their emotions, thoughts, or behavior, hopefully, you know, there can be something, an intervention where a full-blown diagnosable mental health illness emergency does not emerge. Mm -hmm. That's the goal of this podcast. Yes. (laughs) And that, like, goes perfectly into the next question, I think. Yeah. So do you have any words of advice for us or friends that might relate to this conversation? Or if we have friends that are struggling, how we could help them? Yeah. So if you find yourself relating to the things that I'm saying, I would say don't let yourself or anyone else tell you that what you're feeling is nothing to be worried about. If you're worried about yourself, like you know yourself better than anyone. Trust yourself. If you think you need to get help, seek it out like the best case scenario is that you go and seek help and you're like, just kidding. I actually really don't need this. This is awesome. Like it was great that I went to counseling for a little bit and I feel much better. Um, And then the other best thing is that they can really start getting you pointed towards resources that can help you. So really like trust your gut on that situation. Um, If you want to support someone who's struggling, if you really like are noticing something, What I think works best, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Allie, but I really think that you need to be direct. And I always tell people to say, like, I've noticed that you seem 
X way. Like you seem really down or really different. And I'm worried about you. Like say like, as a friend, this is how I feel and sort of make it like about you and your feeling and say like, I care for you. I'm worried. Like, what can I do? What do you need from me? Um, and, uh, don't worry about having any answers to anything that people say, just like get the conversation started. Um, sometimes like with my friend Abigail, uh, saying, I think you have depression. Like, I don't think that I would have gone to see a therapist if I didn't have someone sit me down and say, you are concerning me essentially. Um, I think that oftentimes, uh, we get told to sort of like approach it and be like, Hey, you feeling okay? That is the easiest answer like Mm. that you can give. You can just go, yeah, I'm okay. Like you don't even have to think about it because we do that every day anyway. So make it more direct, make it not so like, I guess, easily answerable Mm -hmm. and say like, I want to talk to you about this because I care for you and I'm concerned for you. Um, start that conversation in that way and make sure that it's empathetic. Of course, don't right. say, I like, say like genu- yeah. yeah, as long as it's coming from a genuine real place in you mm-hmm. and you really care about that person, then I think it'll probably come across yeah. the way that you mean it to come across. I think it's important to, um, to recognize in, in being a supportive friend, you know, you can, you can try your best. Um, there's no perfect or not perfect, obviously, but in a, in a behavioral state that some mental health disorders put you in, um, it, it might not be well received, yeah. but that doesn't mean that it wasn't important to do. Yes. So I, I think that going along with like um, friendship, it doesn't always mean that it's smooth or it's easy and neither is this conversation, but I think we've highlighted that it's important. And yeah. I can speak to that personally that I've, approached friends who I have noticed are struggling and at that point in their life had a lot of anger towards me for that because they felt judged or um, whatever it is that they felt. But I can say that later on, they 100% understood why that conversation was important and why it was necessary. And um, those friendships do come around, you know, Um, it might hurt for a month or two or however long it takes. But I think that as long as you are true friends, things will come back together and sort out. Absolutely. Um, And I I guess I would just like to say, and for you guys as well, I'm sure you know about this already, but I think it's probably important for our listeners to know that they don't have to have an official mental health diagnosis to go get therapy, to go receive uh, treatment for mental health issues. We all go through things in our life that we would benefit seeing somebody uh, normalizing the need to get a preemptive like measure of therapy in your life is so important. And I hope we can hit on that. And I think we already have um, a free resource in the Pittsburgh area is Upstreet. Yeah, I don't know if we have formally <laughs> talked about them before, but you can easily connect with a counselor, free mental health support, free for and anybody. Super nice too. Yeah. Super nice. <laughs> Age, ages 12 to 22. So upstreetpittsburgh.org. This is like an yeah. ad. But I know. They didn't, I Shout said they didn't pay us. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Not sponsored. <laughs> I think that's all great to hear, especially what Isla said about um, really having those conversations and how they're hard at first, but pushing through them. Because I definitely think it would be scary to not confront someone, but like take that approach and like have that conversation. Um, and just as we're normalizing mental illness and trying to destigmatize it, I think having those conversations is an important thing to highlight in the process. Can I actually add one thing to that? Because I think I was speaking um, with the mindset of me being there for a friend, but I can also speak to the flip side of that, that there have been times where I've, like Drew was saying, like self-isolated and um, really kept myself in like a lonely place. And I know for sure that if any of my friends I do have very great friends, but like in those times, I think that I did feel um, like I could have used those questions. Like I could have used somebody coming up to me or even giving me a call, whatever it is. Like, are you doing okay? Because I see that you've, you haven't really been hanging out recently and you haven't been yourself completely. Um, So yeah, I I can speak to that 100% that the conversations might feel difficult, but they are so worthwhile and they mean so much. Um, at least that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't go into the conversation with the goal. Like, 
the goal, you shouldn't go in thinking, let's get them to therapy. Let's right. get them to start medication. Like it, no one's going to, they're not going to do something they don't want to do. And like knowing that you're just starting the conversation to see like what direction they want to go in. That's like the important part. Um, so if you are talking to someone and they respond back and they're like, I don't want to do anything about this. I'm fine. You've done what you need to do as a friend. You don't need to like push on this and cause more strain on your relationship. Like that it's okay. But like, at, hopefully at some point they'll think back to this conversation and think, Hmm, why were they asking me that question or think, Oh, they did notice. Maybe I do need to do something. Sometimes it's just the suggestion that goes farther than the conversation does. Mm -hmm. If somebody is in a, if you see that a friend is in like a really bad place where they're maybe potentially harm in a place where they could harm themselves, do you think in that type of situation, like if you reach out to the friend, um, and Drew and Ellie, maybe you guys can both answer to this, but um, you reach out to the friend and they don't receive it well, is there somebody else that you can turn to to make sure that your friend is in a safe position? Sure. I think it would always be, um, first start out with like their immediate circle. So um, if I said for me as an example, the person that you would reach out to would be my husband. Then it would be my mom and dad. If I have a therapist, it would be my therapist or my psychiatrist. And from there, if you're seeing a behavior that is actively dangerous, I want to highlight that in the minute, like it is happening and that person is at immediate risk. So for example, um, you know, somebody's walking across the street and they're in the middle of traffic and <laughs> it's dangerous right then, um, you do need to call for help. So that would be 911. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I would also caution that part about mm -hmm. contacting the um, circle just because it's tough. It, it can seem like a betrayal sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you um, are like absolutely certain you have no other way to like get in contact. I would say it's mostly if you really like cannot contact them and like you mm -hmm. haven't seen them and you're like, what is going on? I wouldn't say like, Hey, I'm really worried about them. Like you should really check up on them. Just be like, Hey, have you seen this person recently? And like start to get it. And then if they say, no, I haven't seen them, then maybe there's like cause for concern. Mm -hmm. um, but I think sometimes people jump to talking to like, a friend or a family member too, too quickly, quickly. Mm, and yeah. uh, it's like don't talk about me <laughs> without me around you know right. yeah sure um and I, I get that um the unfortunate part about like uh, it was speaking to bipolar disorders is the people who are often closest to you become your enemies in an episode yeah so it, be it does become very challenging um, and it is a tough call. And I think in every situation, this is a very ethical answer. It's usually, it depends like on the yeah. individual. Right. Yeah. <laughs> on a different note. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, what's the best way to yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> um, So we're nearing the end of our podcast and we'd love to hear about any hobbies or favorite books, songs that you enjoy that have helped you heal and brought you joy. Yes. So um, I love music. Um, one that I would just want to like shout out is Lord Pure Heroin. Mm -hmm. Best Lord. album ever. <laughs> um, think about it all the time. But the one song that I wanted to talk about specifically uh, is called My Day Will Come by James Francis and Yeba. Actually, I don't know if that's how you say his last name. So sorry, James. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> we're friends. Um, it talks about like knowing that you're going to be thriving in the future. And I feel like I just very much relate to that song because it lets me look back on like how much I've grown and how far I've come. Um, and the part of the song that like really gets me is the very end of the song where um, she sings, I know my day will come and it already has. Oh. And like, oh, that's such yeah. a good line. And like, it really lets you know that like, you don't need to wait for your life to turn around or for your life to change. Like, you are already on the path to like bring yourself to wherever you need to go. Yeah. And sometimes you've reached it and you don't even know. Mm -hmm. And I think that like keeping that in mind is really important. And then I also just want to share a quote from a professor that I had in college. I, it was on a day that I was having like a really, really tough time. It was right before I had to drop out of school um, for one semester. I went back the next semester and 
he sat me down in his office and I was just like really freaking out. I thought that like everything was ruined, that I was like ruining my future. And he just sort of like looked at me and he said, everything is fixable. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is like something that people really need to think about. Like if you're feeling down or like things are really spiraling out of your control, like nothing is ruined forever. Like you can always go back and uh, go back to school. You can always rekindle a friendship with someone. Like it might feel impossible at the moment, but you can 100% do it. And you're capable of more than you know, essentially. Yeah, I love that. So to kind of to tie everything back to friendship circle, of course, um, our core mission is to be a good friend. And Drew, you kind of already touched on this, but how has um, friendship and your connection with others kind of played a role in that journey mental health for you? I think friendship has truthfully been the most important part of my mental health journey. I always think about like, I really don't know how to frame it, but like everything that I do is like for all of my friends. I just love them. I have such a great group of friends and I feel like, you know, over time you sort of learn like who is like a true friend to you. And I didn't really get so good at that until like halfway through college. And I really feel like I'm at such a great place now, especially with like high quality friends that I can rely on so much and I just appreciate them so much. And I really just don't think that I would be who I am today without them. So, um, you know, it, it cannot be understated like how much uh, friends have an effect and an impact on you. And I don't really think it can 100% be put into words, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, Drew, for being willing to be vulnerable with us and share your experiences. Um, just for a quick recap, in today's episode, we talked about Drew's personal journey with mental health and ways to seek out help if you or your friends are struggling. We hope that you will continue to grow with us as we share inspirational friendship and mental health stories and resources in our future episodes. Um, if you'd like to hear more stories and episodes like this, subscribe to the podcast. Wishing you well and thanks for being a part of our Friendship Circle family. Signing off from Friends On Air! Woo!